We're reading uh, 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. That's page 1228 in the Church Bibles. That's 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 to 12, page 1228. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater, because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. Thanks, Sophie, for reading. Um, Do keep that open in front. Let me pray for us. Uh, Let let me lead us in prayer before we come to look at these words. Heavenly Father, the psalmist says, those who look to you are radiant. Um, And in the midst of this week, with all the different things going on, uh, we want to turn towards you and ask that you would speak to us from your word so we'd be filled with the knowledge of Jesus who saves us and secures us. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Amen. I don't know how you feel about noodles. Um, I quite like them, but they're, they're a pain to eat often, aren't they? Do, do you find that? I probably go at it the wrong way, but sometimes if you, if you eat them with a fork, they kind of slip off your fork, you know that, and you, you pick some up and they've gone again. Or, or sometimes, probably because of the way I cook them, you, you go to uh, dig your fork in, and the entire bowl comes up at once. You've suddenly got a huge fork full of noodles that you can't quite eat. Some people cope. Some people cope by chopping them up. If people in my family do that. I think that's not right. Um, I, I think that that kind of defeats the purpose of a noodle. I think there's a joy to be had. And there's a joy to be had if you can in some way learn to eat them well. 
Now, I say that, you're wondering why. Uh, I say that because I think some of us have found this letter of 1 John a little bit noodly uh, in that it's just filled with ideas that seem to run in and out of each other. You've, you found that they kind of repeat and they twist in and out of each other and you, you rush at it and you feel like you've picked the whole thing up at once uh, and you don't know quite what to do with it. Or you do the other thing and you, you chop it up into little bits, but those bits don't seem uh, to quite work. If you missed last week, go and listen again. It's great having the sermons online. It was, it was excellent that Steve took us through the end of the previous chapter. But let, let me start there again with some of the verses we read last week, just to, to show you this kind of noodly thing. Uh, chapter 4, verse 16. Uh, John wrote this, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God. And you chop that up on its own and you think, does that mean that just being loving sort of makes you okay with God? So if you're you're kind of a loving person, you're all right with God, whether you acknowledge God or not, whether you think about him or not, just about being loving. Uh, But then you remember what John said back in chapter 4, verse 10. He said, "No, no, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. There's the beginning of the noodle, if you like, this particular noodle. To live in love, to live in God, it'll mean at least in part to live trusting this Jesus who died for you. And that helps as you go on to chapter 4 and verse 18 when John will write this, perfect love drives out fear, uh, and the one who fears is, is not made perfect in love. Some of us come with anxious thoughts, don't we? Uh, we're filled with anxious thoughts. Some of us would say we often feel fearful in, in how we relate to perceived threats around us, and some of those are genuine threats, or for some it's what God might think of us. Is John just saying, stop it, don't do that? No, I think John might ask instead, do you want to stay that way? And how are you coping? Because everyone sort of develops solutions for coping with things that they, they don't find easy. Panic buying. Distracting yourselves. And for some, it might be drinking too much. And John's saying, do you know what will begin to really help? Well, it would be to know and experience perfect, securing love. And where do you get that? Where, where can you get hold of something like that? Well, it's in the Jesus who died for you. That's what he's saying. That's the perfect love. That's, that's the beginning of the noodle. John's giving a caring pastoral noodle. It's kind of, and he, he's saying to us, look, get on the end of it and make sure you slurp all the way to the end. Um, I'm glad there's some reaction that isn't just a, an illustration that works in my own mind. Um, I was probably hungry when I wrote this. But it's kind of, don't chop a noodle, do. do. Do slurp all the way to the end. And look, stick with the letters. We head into this next part that Sophie's read for us this morning. John wants to keep us thinking about living as Christians so that even, even a life that has difficulties, that will have to face difficulties, we, we will have. Do you remember what we've said these past few weeks? That we'll have a kind of confident joy to it. That's what we've been thinking about He's going to say, look, being in Jesus, if you're, if you're a Christian who has been, if God has just now located you in Jesus, that's where you are, 
that will bring you into a community that's meant to encourage this confident joy. So how does it work? Well, here's, the, here's the first question to think about. Look, how, can I, how can I love others well? In his letter, one of the things John's been saying is, is one of the marks that someone really knows God is seen in the beginning of a kind of genuine, a genuine love for the church family. It's verse 1 from what we've read this morning. He said this, everyone, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father well, loves his child as well. And look, you, you know this, any, any parent worth their salt has, has a kind of fierce love for their children. Crowded play area. Uh, cl- crowded play area. Uh, you can hear their cry over the sound of everyone else. Uh, somebody said to me at the, the 9.30 service, oh, I'm sorry if it was distracting. Uh, my, my child was having a bit of ta- a tantrum during the service. Didn't notice it. Uh, it. Probably because it wasn't one of mine. I didn't tune in. I thought, that's fine. That's somebody else's. But, but any parent worth a salt, fierce love for their children, they will, they will tune in to any sound they're making. So you can imagine, uh, imagine uh, someone uh, comes to visit Imagine if you have kids, someone comes to visit, and they express annoyance that your kids are there, rolling their eyes, tutting at them. They won't be friends for very long. And John's implying, look, there's, there's some in the church who seem to think God would be okay with people treating his kids like that, looking down on them, but they're wrong. They're very wrong. I see, that's what he's saying here. Look, anyone who really loves the Father will love you as well if you're a Christian. That's the child in this verse. It's talking about you if you're a Christian. Anyone who loves the father will love his child as well. John's saying anyone who claims to be a Christian, anyone who claims to know God will will really love you if you're a Christian. I think most of us think at times, as soon as you hear that, you, you think, ah, how well am I doing at that? Uh, I think it's true, isn't it? Most of us at times think, yeah, how can I do better? We might not use words like, like love, but we, we mean that kind of thing. How, how, can I, how can I love well my wife, my husband, my friends? How can I love the church family well? And how do I know if I'm heading in the right direction? How do I know if I'm if I'm going about this the right way, if I want to learn to love well, how, how can I know if, I've, if I'm taking steps the right way towards this? So John tells us, that's verse 2. This is how we know. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. So how can I love others well? John says, we'll love and obey God first. Why would he say that? Why would he say, if you want to love others well, make sure you love and obey God first? Well, I think it's partly this. You're, you know the Brownlee brothers, those amazing uh, triathletes who've won all sorts of things? Uh, they train together. I think they used to live together, and they train together. Alistair is the older brother, and he's always had the edge on his younger brother. Can you imagine what that's like? It's bad enough, isn't it, if you've got an older sibling who always seems to be just a little bit quicker than you, a little bit faster, always had the edge. Imagine having to do that on the public stage every time you you show up. His older brother, Alistair, had the edge. And I heard someone say in interviews talking about them once, 
why doesn't Johnny train with someone else? Why doesn't he find someone else to train with and try and get the edge on his brother? And the answer was, athletes always want to train with the best. And Johnny's training with the best. There isn't anyone else he could go to. Now that's either dispiriting if he's your big brother or just encouraging to know you're, you're in the right place. And if you can imagine that for a moment... In this letter, John is saying to us, look, who is the best at loving? And where do you see that love? And he says, well, it's God in Jesus. And what kind of love does he display? Well, it's a self-sacrificial love. It's a, it's a whatever's good for you love, not just a whatever's good for me love. And he's saying, look, if you really want to love well, the way you'll do that is to be loving and loved by the one who displays perfect love. That's where you get it. And if you want to love others well, then you want to live obeying. I mean, if you want to know how to love others well, the kind of things to do, you, you want to live obeying the one whose every command is motivated by his perfect love. And because God is perfectly loving, everything he says and does is motivated by that. And you notice the link John makes between loving God and obeying God in verse 3. This is love for God, to keep, keep his commands, not separate things, because God's commands flow from his own perfect love. So that means every command of God is a loving command. And so any genuine love for God will always be obedient love, and any genuine obedience will always be loving obedience. If you obey God in the way you relate to other people, you will be loving them well. So the way to love others in the church family will always be rooted in obeying the loving commands of God. You'll be full of statistics at the moment, won't you? you you'll have been watching the news. If you're on Facebook, on Twitter, on, on whatever it is, full of coronavirus statistics. They're not the only ones, though, that go around. It's reading some other stats this week, and I was re reading these ones. Domestic violence in the UK. The stats are that it affects one in four women. That's a frightening statistic, isn't it? And the article I was reading went on to say that domestic violence has more repeat victims than any other crime. This seems to be something you don't build up an immunity to. Just be ongoing. It's just horrible. Uh, there's never an excuse for it. And if anyone here, if anyone here comes even close to that, this isn't something you self-isolate from. You must come and get help. But look, even further down the scale, even before you get to to that kind of extreme, horrible kind of violence and things that go on with there. But even further down the scale, we can all show a lack of love, can't we? See, husbands who just become thoughtless at home. Wives who become critical. I think John would say, look, if you're married, do you want to love your spouse well? If you're single, do you want to love friends and family well? All of us, do you want to love your life well, the church family well? Well, here's how you do it. You, you love God and you put him first. Dad, do you think that way? 
is your kids come to you for advice? As they ask you for all sorts of things, as you sit down with them and talk to them, do you have this thought in your mind, whether you, you say it out loud all the time, well, let's, let's aim to love God and obey him as we figure out what would be the right thing to do in this situation? Let, let's pray and ask God together that as we, we talk about this thing, you've got to figure out that whatever we do will be done in the context of loving God and putting him first. Women, as you, you think about what you want from life and work, same to love God and obey him first. As you deal with noodly situations in church life that can be hard, and you hear all of that and you can think, yes, I, I want that, but often I don't do it. And so here's the next question. Is this, how will I love and obey God first? That's what John wants to help us think through. If that's what we're meant to do, how can I love God and obey him first? Verse four, John says, he says an odd thing. He says, everyone born of God, everyone who's a Christian, everyone born of God overcomes the world. Now, now remember what John means by the world. It goes back to what he says in chapter two, verse 16, where he, where he wrote this. Everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. John is saying, there's, look, there's two ways to live. The way the world operates, which is kind of, just forget God and think about yourself. And then the way God says to operate, putting him first. How will you stop living that one way and begin to live the other? And John's answer is, look, you and I will do it when the whole truth about Jesus starts to shape you deeply. That's verse 5. Who is it that overcomes the world? Who is it that manages to live this way? Only he who believes Jesus is the Son of God. Do you see what John's saying? Look, if, if you want to begin to live this way, you, you've just got to be clear about this, Jesus. You've got to really know him and trust him. Now, the false teachers, well, they're claiming to believe in Jesus too, but John says it's not the real one. And so he wants us clear who this Jesus really is. That's verse 6. This is the one. He's explaining about Jesus. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. That's a bit noodly, isn't it? Trying to figure out what all this water and blood stuff is. Here's what he means. I think, I think the blood is a little bit easier to get. As soon as you hear that with reference to Jesus, you, you suspect he's, he's talking about his death on the cross. And I, I think that's right. Um, which John says was a sacrifice of atonement. But the water, well, in John's gospel, water is often linked with Jesus' baptism and with the Holy Spirit. And, and water is, is also used when speaking of Jesus' role back in John chapter 6. It's, it's used when speaking of Jesus' role in giving the Holy Spirit to those who believe in him. And I think what John's saying is, look, the false teachers they are quite happy with a Jesus coming with water only, i.e., empowered by the Spirit. They love that. They love the idea of an empowered Jesus who will empower them. But they don't want a Jesus who was humiliated, who died for sin, who gave his life away for the good of others. 
And so they'll, they'll talk about the one, but they'll ignore or deny the other. And John says that's half of Jesus, and half of Jesus is no Jesus at all. See, what happens if you believe in a Jesus who empowers, but never speaks about sin? Well, I think for the naturally confident, for the healthy, for the successful, chances are it will make them feel even more self-reliant and arrogant. Uh, they'll begin to think of God as their cheerleader, just there to boost your ego. You're doing amazingly well. You're empowered. And being focused on themselves and their successes, they'll start to care less about people they, they find weaker. I mean, they should just be empowered. And talk about sin, and they'll not be that concerned. Talk about suffering, they'll, they'll think it's too extreme. That's not what life's really meant to be about. And the thing is, a Jesus who never talks about sin, that's a Jesus who won't ever deal with sin. And when they are confronted, as we all are at some point, with the reality of the things that we do wrong, they won't have a Jesus who loves them despite their sin. And that's what the false teachers are peddling. And John says, don't buy it. So I need to hear this. I was reading this during the week, and I, I think I need to hear this because I'm tempted by it. I want a Jesus who gives my kids good values. See, I want a Jesus who makes my kids moral. I want a Jesus who gives m- me and my family a, a framework for life, a way to live that's successful. And I realize at that point, oh, I want a Jesus who empowers me. But do I want a Jesus who will say, David, you and they are sinners deserving God's wrath. And the only way he could save you and them was lovingly by enduring the humiliation and pain of the cross, taking the penalty for your sin. That's a sacrifice of atonement. Will you look, David, at those you love and think you need a Jesus who takes your humiliation, your wickedness on the cross? See, what happens if we believe in a Jesus like that? If I really believe that, I think it'll make me cry out to him. It'll make me ask him to save me. When people offend me in the church family or wherever and ask for my forgiveness, it'll make me generous because I know I've been generously forgiven too. It'll make me humble recognizing that God is not my cheerleader. He's something much better. He is my savior. And I'll find myself united in Jesus. And so in him, I can call his father, my father. And I'll know that whatever happens in this life, healthy or sick, I really can have confident joy in Jesus. Verses seven to nine, John John wants to say, look, everything God's doing backs up this message about Jesus. We don't have time to, to go through it all, but when he talks about the, the spirit, the water, and the blood, it's one of those noodly bits. You can ask me afterwards, but it's, it's John's shorthand way of saying, this is the Jesus we're to believe in. And, and you, think, you think to yourself, yeah, I, I know that's true about Jesus. I know it's true. Why don't I live it out more? 
why are there Christians who believe in Jesus and, and yet still make poor choices? Why, why are there Christians who, who really like a God who's forgiving but so easily hold grudges against other people? Why are there Christians who believe in God's love and can tell you all about it, but it's just when you're around them, you never really feel very loved by them? I think John would say it's because they, they believe. They, they do believe, but it, it's not gone very deep yet. They've got opinions about God, but it's, it's not really transforming them. You know, where do you start? Just have a look at verse 10. Let's land there. Uh, for a moment. Uh, th- this is one of those verses, it's, it's got a little bit of a nuance in the way you translate it. Our NIV Bibles put it like this. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony, this testimony about Jesus. And that, that's, that's right. There's, there's not a wrong way to translate it, to, to bring it across. But it can make it sound, look, if you believe in Jesus, you'll agree this is true, like it's just a cognitive thing. You're just agreeing to some facts. But the verse is more literally like this. The one who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in himself. And I think what John's saying is, look, if you really believe this, it will become internalized in a transforming way. The good news about Jesus, we're we're meant to trust it. We're meant to take hold of it by faith, hang on to it so that it becomes part of us. This is the Jesus we believe in, one who suffered and died for us, as well as empowering us. This gospel message will start to shape our identity. So how do you love well? By loving and obeying God first. How will you start to love God first? By letting this message of this Jesus work deeply through all of your life. I'm trying to think of something for you to hang on to as you, you head on into the rest of the day, into the rest of the week. A suggestion for you to think about. And I thought, look, why not? If you're looking for something, as a way to, to think this through and, and figure out a bit more, to try and get it going a bit deeper. Why not think about that part of verse 1 where it says this, Everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. Uh, you, could, you could think on that. You could remember that. It's easy to remember, isn't it? Everyone who, who loves the Father loves his child as well. And you, you think about it in terms of God and about the church family. And you, you could pray around that verse, God, I, I want to love you. And you love these people in my church family. Will you start to show me what I can do for them in Christ-like service? You could pray that through this week, couldn't you? Lord, would you make that go down deep in me? Whoever loves the Father loves his child as well. And look, our minds, they're going to be filled with coronavirus at the moment. We're all thinking about the best response, what we do. Here's a couple of thoughts from church history about seeing some different responses motivated by the same kind of thing. 1527 the bubonic plague hit Wittenberg in Germany. It was terrible. I'm told, as I read up in some of this, the incubation period was really short. Death could occur within three to four days. Mortality rates at times were 30%, and that was the best outlook. Some predicted it would be much higher than that. Martin Luther, 
the German reformer was in the city and he was asked by friends and others to leave the city for his own safety. And he agreed it was a good idea to leave the city. But with some others, he decided to stay and minister, he said, to the sick and the frightened. Uh, His own wife was pregnant at the time. Now you look at that and you think, yeah, that is one response in Christ-like love. He wasn't saying everyone had to do it. You come forward some years, 1665, the plague came to the Derbyshire village of Eam. And wanting to limit the spread, the village of 350, under the the care of the rector, self-isolated. Nobody left. And reports suggest out of a population of 350, 83 survived. Staying in to help. Self-isolating. Two different responses, both motivated by wanting to care as best you could for the other. Uh, one woman in Eam, Elizabeth Hancock, lost her six children and husband in eight days. Uh, we pray to God nothing of that order happens in, in our communities. But I mention both of those to say is because we head into this week and over the next few weeks with all the things that are going on, remaining to offer care. Some people will just do that, won't they? NHS staff will do some of that kind of stuff. Families will will have to do that for each other. Some of us will do that kind of thing. Not carelessly, not recklessly, but we'll have to do that. Or self-isolating to avoid contact. Many of us will do that at some point over the next while. Both can be done in a Christ-like way for the good of others. I don't know how you feel. I feel confused about lots of the things that are happening. But one thing we can do heading into this week is to pray and ask God for wisdom. Everyone who loves the Father, loves his child as well, to to ask God to help us to love one another and neighbors with that kind of motivation. I'm going to stop there. Let's have a moment ourselves. And just to bring our own prayers before the Lord who loves us and has given himself for us. And then Rachel will come and lead us on.